That story put a million thanks all over the country. Thank you, Gary. A big thanks to Linda Vester and Michelle May of Fox News. They were first to put us in the national television spotlight. Also, Barbara Chen and David Muir and the rest of the gang at ABC's World News Now for their push, too. I guess I could say the woman who really gave me the incentive to start a million thanks was Alice Wax. Alice is the founder of National Military Appreciation Month. She has taught me the meaning of persistence and never giving up. She is a true American in every sense, and I thank her so much. Chris Murch, president of WSRadio.com, and his staff gave me the chance to tell the world about my campaign on my own WSRadio.com radio show. I thank him, Lee Maribel, and Wade Taylor. I met Robert Weinberg on an airplane. He thanked me for what I was doing, and now I must thank him for being my wonderful lawyer throughout this journey. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors, who are listed at the bottom of my website, www.amillionthanks.org. All of these people and companies either donated cash or services to assist with the postage and pizza costs for sorting parties. My webmaster, Mike Mitchell, gave me the first design for the A Million Thanks site. Glenn Christensen took it to another level. Neither charged me for any of their work. Thank you. To Doug Marr, who opened the door and submitted my story to Peter Miller and his staff at PMA Literary Agency. And also to Peter, who took a chance with me. I appreciate you both very much. To Michelle Rapkin and everyone at Doubleday for guiding me along, and of course, my wonderful co-author, L.A. Stanford, for taking so much extra time to work with me. A million thanks and more. The greatest supporters of A Million Thanks, however, have been the passionate Americans around the country who don't mind taking just two minutes to write a quick thank you to the people who need it the most, our soldiers. I want to thank everyone who has ever written a note of thanks, said thank you, or even said a prayer for our troops. They sure need it. My last thanks go to our military for their endless support and love for this great country. They are the ones who have made a million thanks possible, and without them, our country would not remain free as it is today. Though I have had numerous contacts with soldiers here and far, I want to thank my two heroes, RP3 Everett Headley and PFC Michael Bird, who were the first to contact me from Iraq using cell phones and email. They taught me what it is really like to be a soldier in Iraq and what it is like to put your life on the line every single day. A big thanks goes to Sergeant John Metzler, who has become my great friend and has helped me through some of the toughest decisions I had to make during A Million Thanks. For his strength, love, and passion, I am forever indebted. To all of you who have helped, and to you, the listener, I say A Million Thanks. This book is dedicated to all the members of our armed forces and their families, past, present, and future. It is through the acts and actions of our military men and women that we enjoy the freedoms we do every day in this wonderful country, the United States of America. I found these words by Charles M. Province, etched on one of the memorials inside the Pentagon for those who died on September 11, 2001. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to demonstrate. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, whose coffin is draped by the flag, 
who allows the protester to burn the flag. The Beginning of a Remarkable Journey As we rode on the train from Anaheim to San Diego, I had no idea that my life was about to change. The Amtrak Surfliner was great, and I loved looking out the window to see all the sights. The Pacific Ocean was on the right, which I've been to many times before, and there are people surfing near the San Onofre power plant because the water is warmer closer to the reactor. There was a line of cars waiting to get through the Border Patrol's checkpoint, and the U.S. and Marine Corps flags flew high over Camp Pendleton. I saw the tall buildings of San Diego State University, where I would later dorm during a basketball tournament. By the way, we placed fourth out of 64 teams that weekend. The Marine training facility near the beach was busy with activity, with helicopters hovering, tanks in motion, and Navy ships anchored just offshore. All of this was fascinating to look at, but it didn't belittle the fact that I really did not want to be there. It was Thanksgiving Day, 2002, and we were supposed to be home, having dinner together as a family. Instead, my dad agreed to arrange a meal for a few hundred strangers, soldiers and their families, at the USO. I knew he had been involved in doing things for the troops, collecting valentines Americans wrote for them, and that sort of thing. But at 13, I didn't really pay much attention to any of it. All I knew now was that this was not going to be a real Thanksgiving. Yes, our family was going to be together. My younger brother Ryan, my mom and dad, my grandpa Nate and grandma Betty, my aunt Sandy and uncle Mike, and me. But we would be eating with hundreds of people we didn't know. When we got to the USO, though, I started to feel differently about things almost immediately. The people there were either soldiers back on leave or family members of soldiers who were away defending our country. Most of them lived on bases, and this USO was the closest thing they had to home. They didn't have much of a choice about where they were going to spend their Thanksgiving. I could see they really appreciated having a place to celebrate and that people cared enough to do something like this for them. It made me feel, well, a little guilty for complaining to my parents earlier about having to make this trip. We began decorating the upstairs hall for the Thanksgiving meal. There were rows and rows of tables. My mom and aunt hung happy Thanksgiving signs and pictures of turkeys and pilgrims. My dad, my brother, and I set up an area with games in which soldiers and families could win prizes my dad had delivered there earlier that week. The rest of our family helped the cooks finish the dozens of turkeys in the USO's huge kitchen. A few days earlier, the USO had called my dad for help when their main food donor backed out at the last minute, leaving them with no food to serve. He'd helped them out in the past with donations of prizes for various events, and they knew he was in the fun center and restaurant business. My dad enlisted the help of Kevin Davis, the CEO of Bristol Farms, a large grocery store chain, and the father of my friend Kristen. He agreed to donate most of the food. While we served dinner, I looked around the room and thought it was great that Kevin and my dad had helped the USO and these people so much. Amazingly, it seemed like a traditional Thanksgiving, if your family was really, really huge. After the meal, I operated a spinning wheel where kids could win prizes. This was a big deal to these kids because money was tight for most of their families, and the kids couldn't simply get toys whenever they wanted them. There was also something called the Santa Store, 
which the USO runs before Christmas for military families who can't afford gifts for each other. At the Santa store, stocked with donations from local businesses, they can pick gifts for each other without charge. Throughout the USO, there was a real sense of festivity, and I could see it was a special event for everyone involved. Seeing the looks on people's faces as they ate, played games, and chose Christmas presents, I began to realize how important something like this was to them. They weren't with their extended families, as they might be on holidays when they or their loved ones weren't in the service, but they were with people who understood and appreciated what they were going through. Suddenly, it didn't seem like such a big deal for me to give up my normal Thanksgiving. In fact, this kind of Thanksgiving started to feel pretty good. The most touching moment, and the one that literally changed my attitude, came when my dad handed out some of the valentines he'd received late during the previous February. He walked over to a soldier who was about to leave and gave him a packet of valentines. The soldier seemed amazed at the gesture. There are a lot of people who appreciate what you're doing for them, my dad said. I could tell this really touched the soldier, but also that he wasn't accustomed to this kind of treatment. He looked my dad in the eye and said, Thank you, sir. Then he turned to go. As he walked away, though, I saw him wipe away tears. I looked back at my dad and saw he was doing the same thing. That's when everything clicked for me. At that very moment, I realized how much our appreciation meant to our troops, and I really wanted to let them know how much they meant to us. As we rode back on the train that night, I had a completely different feeling in my heart than I'd had on the ride down. A few months later, just before Valentine's Day, we went to March.